0: Hi, everyone. It's Jen DeWall. And on this week's episode of the Leadership Habit Podcast, I sat down with Liz Kislik to talk about how to make strategies stick. Liz Kislick, Harvard Business Review and Forbes contributor, has over 30 years of experience specializing in developing high-performing leaders in workforces. As a management consultant and executive coach, Liz has helped family-run businesses, national nonprofits, and Fortune 500 companies like American Express, Girl Scouts, Staples, Janssen Pharmaceuticals, and highlights for children solve their thorniest problems. In her TEDx talk, why there's so much conflict at work and what you can do to fix it, Liz shows how diagnosing root structural issues can resolve current problems and help organizations thrive for the long term. Enjoy our conversation as Liz and I talk about how to make strategies stick. Hi, everyone. It's Jen DeWall, and we're here with Liz. Kiss. like Liz, it's so great to have you on the show. I'm so excited for our conversation to talk about how to make strategies stick. Something that I'm sure a lot of people are like, can you please give me the answer? Liz, I'm so happy that you're on the Leadership Habit podcast. And I know we read your bio, but I would love to just hear for our listeners um, to them for them to get to know a little bit about you. Could you tell us maybe how you came to be, how you became really interested in the subject matter and you really developed your expertise in this way? Or what's your story? Said simply.
1: <laughs> Jen, I'm very happy to be with you. I think you are really uncovering some of the issues that people need answers to. And in my story, um, when I graduated college, I wanted to go to work as opposed to going to grad school, which is what most of my friends did, because I thought work was where the action is. And I still believe that, even after going to grad school. Um, I really saw that if you were willing to work hard, and you also had to be lucky, you could get access to people and to opportunity. And I say that as a privileged person, I'm white. I am the child of educated people. Uh, So you have to know where you're starting from. But in general, if you are willing to look for the things that are going undone, and take care of them for other people's benefit, they're usually glad to have you. And so I had a promotion every six months in the company I worked for after college. And when I was 23, I was running a 300 employee call center. Wow. And that was too, really, it was too big a job. Um, the hardest job I've ever had. And one, in which I was only partially successful. I was not successful for myself because I actually thought part of my job was to make sure everybody was happy at work. And give me a- I feel like a
0: lot of people can relate with that right now. They're like, that's what keeps me up at night is trying to keep everyone happy.
1: Right. And what I've come to learn is people need to keep themselves happy. What leadership needs to do is create the conditions in which work can be really satisfying and the workplace conditions are good to work in. So they're fair, they recognize people's efforts, they know who you are, all that kind of stuff. And you have the opportunity to be curious about your job and what else is going on there, and to look for ways to make things better, and that can create satisfaction and meaning in an employee's life, but no workplace leader can actually make everybody happy, and it's a false, false premise. Where
0: do you think that we pick that up? because I, I know that in your work you see it in my work, what teaching for Crescom, I hear it all the time, this expectation that as a leader, I'm supposed to know all of the answers and I'm supposed to somehow make everyone happy. Where do you think you picked that up? or where do you think some people just from your
1: perspective, where do you think people pick that up? I'm having a bunch of thoughts uh, for myself, I picked it up from my grandfather who had his own business, and loved his staff, and his staff loved him, and I learned about many of the things that he did to take care of his staff, and I just made the assumption that that included their being happy, but I think we learned it, you know, from the movies and TV and the way we learned about romance and stuff like that, you know, I think that's all in there, even though um, workplace and movie, sorry, TV and and movie workplaces are often terrible. But that's how we know that it's supposed to be fabulous, because they're showing us that it's terrible on purpose, you know, so we think, oh, the reverse must be this wonderful, idyllic. Thing,
0: No, and it's not. And it's okay that it's not because we are all so vastly different in a lot of different regards, different periods of our life, different periods of our career, so on and so forth, that it's going to be virtually impossible for any leader to get it right for every single being. I love that because that's going to make, you know, I know we're going to be talking about strategy and that's likely an obstacle that many people have to overcome with strategy is knowing that it may not be accepted by all. But I want to ask you one more question about your business. As a workplace expert, knowing that you do go into organizations and help them, what are some of your favorite challenges to help them solve?
1: I deal a lot with conflict, Mm -hmm. with interdepartmental conflict, with conflict within an executive or leadership team with the kinds of problems that have been around a while and people don't know what to do to fix them. And that really floats my boat because I get to be really curious about what's going on. And so I get to ask everybody all kinds of questions and they tell me their answers. And then in a way, I'm working with the same facts that anybody could have worked with, but as an outsider, I can see them differently. I can reframe the issues. And so often that means the logjam starts to adjust, people see what really could be changed, and we get to make the work and the workplaces more satisfying for people.
0: Yes, which I love. I am so passionate. And I really do believe that we can create a culture for everyone to thrive. You know, like there are still going to be some people that won't like it. But I think just even how we treat people, how we resolve our conflict, how we actually support point one another we can create those things and i have to believe that you all have, have that same kind of vision that like we can actually create workplaces people want to work at
1: <laughs> it really is true i i think we have to give up the idea first of all that it's natural and will happen automatically yeah. because it doesn't matter how good the people are we all want slightly different things we all have different styles so it's kind of unfair to assume things would just fall into a, into place that would be personally thrilling. You know, it all needs work. Yes, I love that. That's a perfect segue
0: into our conversation about strategy because it has to start with that intention that we just can't, you know, there we have to be intentional about putting a plan or actions into place. To be able to achieve a different result, it's not just going to happen by accident. Well, it can, but it may not be the outcome that you always want. So let's dive into our topic today how to make strategies stick. Liz, from your perspective, what goes wrong in planning strategy?
1: There are so many ways to answer this question, Jen. (laughs) Okay. So the first thing that I'll say is people actually disagree about what strategy is. Uh but don't necessarily know that they disagree. Oh, tell me more. So I can't tell you how many people I've worked with who think that strategy means ideas, that if they have thoughts about something we should do or how things could work, they assume that that strategy as if strategy occurs by thinking. Um, And since it's not, that means a lot goes wrong because strategy needs to focus on particular kinds of goals or outcomes that need to be stated. It takes into account the actual real-world conditions, not just made-up stuff, not just the way you want it to be. It has to face what is really true, And, and maybe this is really the most challenging thing. It has to do that when you know you don't know everything. Mm. That the likelihood of being wrong is actually high because your strategy is pointing toward the future. I had a wonderful conversation with Rita McGrath, who's a professor at Columbia Law School and wrote this book called Seeing Around Corners about strategy. And this premise strategy is about taking us into the future. But when we plan, we're mostly planning based on what we've done in the past. So there's a big disconnect right at the beginning. Yeah,
0: I love that. Well, yeah, so many people and I know we teach a class at Crescom on innovation and our subject matter expert and this quote always sticks with me. His name is Stephen Shapiro. Expertise, is the enemy of innovation. I'm sure someone's already like, I heard her say that before, but it's not my quote, but it is his. And I think that really shows the foundation of where strategy can go awry, is that we've got all of this past historical data that we're using to make decisions that may or may not be relevant to get you to where you want to be. But yet we don't throw
1: out the bad data. (laughs) Not even that. We we don't even know, I mean, think about every prospectus you've ever seen, if you've ever considered an investment, says past performance is not indicative yeah. of what's going to happen in the future. So um, when there's actual liability involved, they know to write that down. It yeah. Well, it's true for the rest of us. Yes. I No, I love that. The
0: other things that come to mind as you were sharing, where does it kind of go awry, People think it's the idea. This is so exciting. It's that shiny object. But then there's no follow through. And that's what you're talking about with the goals, with having small actions. We just think that the idea is fancy and excited. So everyone else will follow suit and like that idea as well.
1: (laughs) Is it Drucker who said culture eats strategy for breakfast? I can't remember. I'm not sure. I don't remember, but that might be him. And Um, I would say that there is a gap in the middle of those things. So if strategy is the big idea, and let's say it's a good big idea, Mm -hmm. you need a lot of plans to get you from the big idea to anything real that's going to happen in the world. The strategy doesn't make itself happen. And the question is, how does that get translated from, say, the boardroom to the desk level, and what are the various highways and byways in between where the vision, the big intention, gets communicated clearly, concretely, or as is much too often the case, vaguely or not at all. (laughs) Sometimes, All that happens is anybody's manager is telling them what to do on a given Tuesday that is just like what they did the Tuesday before. And there is actually no connection to the future look whatsoever. It's as if we're only living in an ever present present. Gosh, I can
0: picture that just in the sense of even in earlier roles throughout an organization where you're kind of just given the task, put your head down, do the task, but you don't understand how the task is supporting that larger, larger vision, whether it's supporting the larger vision, because sometimes that's not even clear. Right. And I think I had a little bit more ego in my 20s. And so I wanted to connect to that vision. So if I felt like my work wasn't, then I'm like, well, this isn't fun because it's not visible, right? I'm not going to get the recognition. I had, I had ego. <laughs> but no, no,
1: no. That's even without wanting to be recognized. And there's nothing wrong with that. First of all, it's a huge motivator. People who don't care about being recognized, it's actually harder to know what will work for them. Um, But this goes back to the thing we talked about at the beginning trying to make everybody happy. What people need is to know they are connected to something that is important, that has value. And if they don't have the connection to the strategy, then all they have is task after task. And then it feels like anybody could do that. You don't need them. You don't need their level of specialization, expertise, dedication, et cetera. It could be a drone. So it's quite remarkable how often, say a CEO holds a town hall meeting and announces the strategy. And people get excited because it sounds good. And they think about what this might mean for them. But then they go back to their work and they don't hear about it from their boss. So what does that mean? Does that mean it's another flavor of the month? You know, we change this stuff all the time. People complain about that so often. Does it mean the strategy is happening, but their boss is not on board? So they're not allowed to connect to it? Does it mean somebody in the middle wanted something different and is actually directing troops in a completely different way from where the CEO wanted to go? I have worked in workplaces where every single one of these things happens. Yes,
0: I love that. Well, permafrost of middle management. Right. Like that, or that's how, um, I guess how I've recently heard it described is that, you know, that idea comes down, that strategy, the plan, and then people aren't bought in the mid-level and then it doesn't go anywhere, Because heck, if they, you know, and I think there's that accountability piece that you were talking about earlier, it's having the plan. But yes, I feel like I've seen that one. And the other one that keeps coming up is is burnout by way of competing priorities and initiatives of -hmm. having too much going on. I don't know from, from where that sits, like, I don't know if there's a magic number for the amount of strategies or if it's so much that make sure that you categorize them as like, this is high priority mid-level priority. So then people know that this is actually still where we want you to focus your efforts on. And these ones down here are nice to have, but not need to have. Like, I don't, how do you, how would you even start? I guess if you were going into an organization and they were like, we want Liz come up with strategy and your perspective as a workplace expert, how would you even start?
1: So every place is different um, because they do have a history and you have to take it into account.
0: Yeah.
1: For what you're talking about, this idea of too many strategies, it can often help to think that there is a big strategy that matches the vision and the huge thing we want to accomplish, which might be being number one in our marketplace for thus and so, or it might be changing the lives of children in regard to whatever the thing is that we work on. Then those things happen because there are a variety of initiatives. And this is the first place that stuff can go haywire because the initiatives belong to different people in the organization. Mm -hmm. Do all the initiatives actually roll up to the major strategy? Do they all contribute to the strategy? Has anybody at the executive level thought deeply about are we making sure that the initiatives aren't cannibalizing each other? You know, those kinds of things. This stuff all takes so much effort and energy. It's not surprising that it doesn't get carried through end to end. But if the initiatives are clear and say there's a steering committee or a board or an executive team or, you know, the CEO, owner, whoever's at the top, if somebody blesses this, this is the strategy, these are the initiatives, then theoretically there should be some kind of check in process with the next level that happens periodically, not once. And then again, when you're doing strategic planning for the next year, which is a big flaw in a lot of how strategy is conducted, you never hear about it again until, you know, fourth quarter when we do the next one. so
0: (laughs) i'm laughing because it's just i have sat at the town hall i've also watched it go
1: from this is so exciting to oh did we even do anything on that? (laughs) right so there are a couple of metaphors that can be helpful um one that i like is sherwood forest uh where robin hood was because robin hood would tell his lieutenants And they would spread out and each have a group of villagers that they talked to who then talked to other people. It's true. The downside of this is the game of telephone. But if you do it well, this idea of many of us grew up um, that there was a class parent who would call certain people to communicate the news of the class when we were in second grade it actually works if it's followed well and if the content is clear. So if you think of Sherwood Forest and how you make sure that your network of communication is actually robust and consistent and you're checking for breaks in the network, that can be a really helpful thing. Another helpful metaphor comes from the military and it's called commander's intent. And this goes back to the idea of how do you choose which priorities. So theoretically, whatever the commander's intent is, is so well understood by every single soldier, every foot soldier, that if it came to it and there was only one soldier alive, that soldier would know what their job would be to come the closest to meeting commander's intent. That's why you hear of these things where some heroic person in the military tries to take a hill by themselves. It's because they are following the intent. They may be the last person standing, but they are going to try to carry out the mission as best they understand it. And when you believe you know what the mission is, then it's sometimes easier to sort through those priorities. Does it actually serve the mission directly or not? And if it doesn't serve the mission, who do you bring it to, to adjudicate, should we be putting our resources, our time, energy, attention, focus, any of those things into this now, or do we need to hold back because we need to serve the mission?
0: Yeah, I, the commander's intent. I very much like that, because if you're listening to this, it's having the high level objective. What are you trying to accomplish? But I think it does get confusing when you can tell that the commander's intent is unclear or maybe it's too complicated that I can't even understand it, which means I'm not going to see how I'm going to help you. But it also, I think you're speaking to me in a sense that I have sat in rooms where we're doing a strategy, but then there's the next strategy and they're not connected. And so then it adds this piece of, well, A, what one's more important, but B, why are we doing this one? Why are we deviating from what we know to incorporate this? Is it because it supports our, our intent or is it because it's what everyone else is doing? And if that's the case, we're probably not going to follow through on it. Yet, but yet I've sat in multiple boardrooms where we have this vision, we've got a strategy to get there. And then somehow there's this added straggler that gets added in that has nothing to do with that one. And I that's a point of, I guess, It's just a challenge for me because then how do you articulate that, right? Because when it comes down to strategy, I think I am a pretty direct person. You might probably know how I feel about something, but yet in those moments where you notice that other people in the room aren't challenging that, it does become easy to be vulnerable to groupthink and being like, I guess this is fine. You know, I guess this is what we're doing. I don't want to challenge it. I want to be mindful of our rank. And so, yeah, then I'm just going to follow suit. I don't know what you're like. I'm sure you see that all the time of people just disengaging or not offering their point of view because they don't even think You know, why bother? Or this could be worse for me if I bring it up and everyone else is saying it. So, again, why bother?
1: Right. Why make myself unsafe? Yes. Yes. Okay. You've put a whole load in there. Let me think about how I want to break that out. So, there's a kind of phase zero that comes before the situation you're talking about. And this goes back to Drucker's point about culture. No matter how good the strategy is, if by the time it gets to any individual decision-maker or someone who carries out decisions, if they don't feel that they can ask a question about it safely, you are in a place where You're actually paying for groupthink. Oh, I like that perspective. You're paying for (laughs) groupthink. Do you want to pay for that? (laughs) You are paying for people to keep themselves safe because we'll all try to do that one way or another. Some people will speak up because they fear the lack of safety that will come six months down the road if they feel that what they're doing has diverged from the strategy. So some people will actually speak up, but it's very frightening if everybody's going along, in a meeting where all that ever happens is rubber stamping, very frightening to say something that is different from the mainstream. If you're in a situation like that, how do you ask about those things? One of the things that you do is, first of all, you never give up, you know, like, As long as you come back to work the next day, you always have another opportunity to figure something out. So, you develop a relationship with your boss where you can ask confusing but curious questions in a non threatening way, if at all possible. And if you can't develop that with your boss, you look for opportunities based on project assignments, based on the monthly birthday parties, whatever it is. You look for opportunities to have relationships with other leaders because a marker of somebody who wants to accomplish more in in an organization is somebody who is curious. Why are we working on this? Explain to me how this thing happens. I'm so interested in why we decided that thing. Can you tell me more about the background? If you're approaching it from, but I thought we said this other thing last time, that puts people on the defensive. Sure. But I'm so interested. That says not only I want to know, but I'm asking you because I care about your opinion. And people are much more likely to answer it, even in tricky situations. So try to think about it with almost a kind of beginner's mind. And as if you are a guest somewhere or you're taking a tour in a museum and you're asking how it came to be a certain way, as opposed to why questions that seem to be about What was the motive for this? Or judgment, isn't this wrong if we said the other thing? Those why questions can be very tricky. Yes,
0: I, you know, and I dislike a lot of why questions for that same reason. It puts people on the defense and you want to be, you know, depending on the tone that's added with that why, it can change the trajectory of any conversation. CrossCom is a global organization dedicated to developing effective leaders. Companies all over the world have seen their managers transformed into leaders through our award-winning and accredited leadership development programs. Our signature BPM program provides interactive management training with a results-oriented curriculum and prime networking opportunities. If you're interested in learning more about our flagship program and developing your managers into leaders, please visit our website to find a leadership trainer near you. Or maybe you yourself have always wanted to train and develop others. Crestcom is a global franchise with ownership opportunities available throughout the world. If you have ever thought about being your own boss, owning your own business, and leveraging your leadership experience to impact businesses and leaders in your community, Crestcom may be the right fit for you. We're looking for professional executives who are looking for a change and want to make a difference in people's lives. Learn more about our franchise opportunity on the Own a Franchise page of our website at crosscom.com. I like that you talk so much about being intentional with your communication as it relates to strategy. Like it is very important to be curious, but it's also very important to choose your words wisely to make sure. Because if I go back to, you know, my, I was at this organization for almost a decade and it was a large organization, different silos, different perspectives and different, I guess, microcultures of how they handled those types of questions. Mm-hmm. And in my last uh, position there, I was in a part where my boss was great. Loved him. I could ask him anything. His boss, his boss's boss. If you asked them anything that sounded like it was threatening their strategy, blackballed, you were done. And I wish I could say that wasn't the truth, but it was. And it's anyone that kind of, asked that. But now I'm thinking, I'm like, I wonder how I asked those questions 15, 20 years ago. Like, I wonder how I did, because yep. what piece of that do I own where maybe, you know, I could have showed up and not asked the why question, or I could have been more curious. I was still new. I was, I would still say I was new. I should have embraced the newness and been like, help me understand. Like, I am just new. I'm a beginner. Could you help me understand this?
1: I give uh, you a lot of credit for looking at your place in that, Jen because so often we don't recognize how we come across yeah on the other hand looking back at who those people were something i try to explain to leaders is if the people who are asking the questions were in the position to craft the strategy themselves they wouldn't have the questions so it's your job to explain how it connects. And one of the ways I would encourage people lower down in the organization to ask about it is to say, it helps me do my job better when I have the context. It juices me up to know where this fits in the big picture, because then I feel like I'm serving our customer segment or I'm accomplishing this thing in the world and not just that I'm completing certain forms. And that's so valuable to me. I would love to know. I love that expression. Like I would love to, you know, it gets me excited. Well, and and that is the piece
0: for me because I, if I think of my individual style and I'm sure there's other people like me, my career success is a big part of who I am. Not saying that's the right way, but that's who how I am. I'm very career and success oriented. and But I'm also a fast learner sometimes, but I'm actually a learner that needs to like see everything before I actually mm-hmm. can understand what to do. That's just how I process. And so when I ask questions, it's not to undermine, but it's more to help me understand. But yet, yes, going back to it, I guarantee there are many times I did not ask that question in the right way. <laughs>
1: <laughs> say in the best way possible for the listener
0: yes yes and that's okay I mean you and I both we live in we live eat sleep breathe leadership I mean we are all perfectly imperfect but we also just have to learn mistakes are going to be made we might communicate something wrong but what are you going to do differently right. I mean I you know we're humans and I love the learning but I don't think I ever knew what emotional intelligence was when I was 22. Like, I don't think I knew what that was, yeah. you know? And that's a big part, part of strategy. But going back to that, like, so I love even the language of how you can, no matter what level you're at, that even if you are or feeling like maybe I don't want to ask this in the wrong way, I don't want this to be perceived as blank. To use it as, hey, I get really excited when I understand how this fits into the big picture. Like, I would love to know a little bit more about this, and it is interesting. So, then, what would be your advice to, let's say, someone asked it the wrong way, like I did? Let's just assume I probably did ask it the wrong way. Like, what would be your advice to that leader if someone's asking questions and in that way, and you're like, "Mm -mm, mm -mm." what would be your advice to the leader and how to respond to that?
1: (laughs) So. It really depends on not just who the person is as in what's their role in the organization, although that's very important. But, you know, there are people who play out different kinds of stylistic roles in organizations. So there might be somebody who is constantly the questioner. All right, so the the, the first thing is getting kind of squared away in your role as a leader, that part of your job is to connect more tightly with the people who are carrying out the work. Because if they feel connected to you, they will approach the work with more vigor. You can galvanize them to be involved in new things when you want it. And they will give you a pass from time to time as the leader, even when something goes wrong. So that's just so valuable. It just seems worth the investment to me. Right. Absolutely. So if somebody comes flying at me with, a, well, why are you doing this? In a way that sounds like, why are you doing this stupid thing? <laughs> I'm making it worse than what you would have said.
0: I probably did it that way. I
1: don't remember. (laughs) No, no. But that is the way people might take it. So a leader might think, this person is asking me why I would do a stupid thing. Don't they trust my judgment? Don't they think I deserve to be here? Depending on who the leader is and how they're constructed, they can get personally defensive. Yes. That's hard. That's why I'm suggesting all this careful language. But a good leader will think, oh, something about the communication has challenged this person. What do I want from this person in the long term? What do I want them to understand? How do I want them to feel about me and the organization? So the first thing I would say back is, oh, it sounds like you didn't like it very much. I would acknowledge the implied slap. Mm. because then the person coming at me actually knows they've been heard. Yeah. Okay, so now I'm with you. Oh, you didn't like that much, huh? No. Okay. I want to hear more about why you don't like it. And then the leader has to choose. In this situation, is it better to find out why they don't like it up front? and tailor my remarks to that, or to just talk about our logic, our purpose, and then look for ways to tie it back to who the employee is and what they care about. And they are both equally valid, and it helps to know the people.
0: Yes, I love the acknowledge and validation in the beginning of I hear you, or it sounds like from what where I'm sitting, it it sounds like this may not be, you know, a strategy that you you feel comfortable with. Or tell me more about that, you know, and asking and curiosity. I wonder if curiosity could solve so many leadership challenges.
1: Oh my goodness, positive intent at ultimately- all. So Jen, it wouldn't solve them, <laughs> but it would get you on the path. It would say we are in this together. Tell me more, one of the best phrases. Another one, I noticed, or I notice. I notice that every time we have a meeting about strategy 42, you really seem uncomfortable and hang back in a way you don't on any of the others. Can you tell me a little about what's going on? I want to know.
0: You know, and it's interesting that you say that because I do feel like leaders typically are aware of how people are responding to it. And that data is right there. But rarely, I shouldn't say rarely, but I know that there are people that obviously know the discomfort or the discontent is there, but yet still are like, they don't address it.
1: (laughs) There's an old market research saw. About not asking any question you can't afford to have the answer to. Mm -hmm. And if leaders feel there's nothing they can do about it, if they feel like I can't ever make this person happy, it's almost the reverse of what you were saying before of the lower level person. If I can't actively change the situation, why should I bother opening this can of worms? I'll just avoid it. That is a common response, I'm sorry to say. Yeah.
0: Like, I mean, and sometimes it's the necessary response too. Like it is. It's because it goes back to not everyone is going to like every single strategy. And it doesn't make you a bad person. It doesn't make the leadership team a bad person. There's often just more opportunities going back to communicate. So as we're closing out, I'm curious, like what would be any final tips that you would have on how to make strategies stick?
1: I think in a way it's, it's like caveats or warnings. When you are in a conference room planning strategy, recognize that you have been through ideation, drafting, revision with whatever group of people you're doing this with. When you make your communications outward, they're only hearing your finished product. They don't know all the thinking that went into it. So it's important to bring some of that thinking forward, not the things you rejected, but the context for why. This is where why is important. The purpose really needs to be brought forward, not just the fact of what we're doing. So that's one major communication piece, making sure your network down to the desk level is sound is absolutely crucial and being willing to answer questions and take on all comers as a way not only to bring people closer to understanding the value of the strategy and therefore getting them to commit to it, but it's like research for when you revise the strategy. What are the things about operations that you don't know because you're not in operations? What are the things about customer conflicts that you don't know because they didn't happen to your customer? We can't know everything and be in every place. So trusting the network to be able to bring the message out and learning from the network to get the responses in about what this means to people in the company, both of those are really crucial.
0: Oh my gosh, I love that. I'm going to throw out a random thing. Why don't we just always talk about strategy and change management together? <laughs> like, like that is the other piece of like, when I think about pitfalls, it's because we talk about a strategy, not as a change. Like why right. don't we do
1: that? Right, right. And sometimes even saying it's straight, it, that it's change management, that sounds like something we're going to do to you.
0: Right. Oh, I guess that's a good perspective. Like we're right?
1: I don't actually... Um, talk about change management much anymore except as a conceptual thing because too many people feel that they're being done to and what's our work what's our purpose let's talk about that together
0: yes I love that because we know that it, let's call it iteration if it's not changed like evolution is always essential to stay one step ahead of the competition, to serve your customers, whatever that might be. And how can we continue to iterate and how do we make sure everyone understands the why of why we need to do this? I think I love that your emphasis on really it's, How are we showing up in the communication? How are we making sure that we're going all the way down to the desk level, that people truly understand why this is needed and how they are needed as it relates to our strategy? I love that. Liz, I've really enjoyed our conversation. And if our audience ever wanted to get in touch with you, Liz, how would they get in contact with you?
1: Oh, the best place is uh, to go to my website where also, Jen, if they want it, there's 10 years of weekly writing on all kinds of leadership and workplace topics. And there's actually a free ebook there if anybody in your audience wants it about the interpersonal aspects of conflict at work and newsletters and, oh, there's just so much stuff there. Or of course on LinkedIn, they can find me, Twitter.
0: Oh my gosh. Perfect. I love all the resources that you just offered to our audience. Liz, thank you so much for showing up with your passion, your eloquence. I loved your metaphors and stories. It was truly great to have you on the podcast. Thank you so much for giving your time to develop the leaders around the world on the
1: leadership habit. I really enjoyed it, Jen. Thank you.
0: Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of the leadership habit podcast with Liz Kislik. I loved the conversations, loved her metaphors and the perspective that she gave for how to approach strategy. As Liz shared at the end of our podcast, if you would like to get a free copy of her ebook, how to resolve interpersonal conflicts in the workplace, head on over to lizkislik.com. There you can find multiple resources of content, including her newsletter and blogs. But don't forget, you can also connect with Liz on LinkedIn and Twitter. And if you know someone that could benefit from hearing this podcast, share it with them. And of course, if you've enjoyed it, don't forget to leave us a review on your favorite podcast streaming service.
1: Until next time.